Welcome to this edition of DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast. For more information, visit us on our website, www.dbsalliance.org. We've been there. We can help. This is Keith Romero with DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast. Our guest today is Lisa Goodell, uh, DBSA's Director of Peer Services. Um, Welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Lisa, uh, we are going to talk a little bit about DBSA's Certified Peer Specialist Program. This is a really innovative program, and rather than me talk about it uh, and not know what I'm talking about, tell our listeners a bit about the program and what it entails. Okay. Well, this is an area we've been working on for several years now, and it's, um, I would say, just a very natural outgrowth of what DBSA is all about, which is starting with peer support and helping people um, deliver that support to each other. This is a little bit different type of peer support than people deliver in mutual support groups like DBSA chapters. Um, This is a role in which people actually go to work and are paid to provide peer support um, to, to other people who have mental illnesses and who struggle with the same things that the peer specialists are struggling with. Um, it's a paid position. It's something that many people have chosen to do and use their life experience to help others. Now, how did this idea come about? Um, this really started um, in the 90s, and the state of Georgia was really the pioneer in, um, in this effort. Um, many of The listeners may have heard of the Olmstead decision, which was a decision that happened in the state of Georgia, which um, told the state uh, in in very plain terms that people needed to be served in the least restrictive environment. And if people wanted to be served in the community versus in an institution, um, the state needed to find out ways to do that. And so Georgia was looking for different ways as a response to that decision. Um, And one of the things that they came up with, which has been wildly successful, has been the whole concept of training peer specialists um, to deliver services to people um, in a variety of settings, but primarily based um, in in the community. So helping people to do this. And they began, developed a curriculum to do this, um, and began to train people in Georgia. And now they have trained well over 300 people over several years and draw people from all over the country and many states are now also implementing this concept as a part of a way that they can begin to serve people in the community. What is the level of state involvement? Um, In the training effort? Um, Actually, the state of Georgia, I'll just use them as an example, although other states have done this in different ways, actually um, works with the state consumer movement, the Georgia Consumer Network who does the training. So in, in other words, it's really not run by the state, but they help fund this. Um, and so people um, go through the training that peer, or the um, consumer network runs the trainings. I believe they do a couple a year uh, in different locations around the state. And then people come to these trainings and um, both are trained and certified, which means they're also tested. Um, to determine their level of knowledge as a result of the training. And how many how many people are trained at a given time? You know, um, I'll use our experience. Different uh, organizations do different things. We usually don't want to train more than about 30 people at a time. You know, we've done anywhere from, I think, we've done 10 to 30 people in our training. And um, 
those folks come together in a group setting. Um, we've done it in several different ways. We, it's about um, a 30-hour training that we do. Um, is this done over a course of days, weeks? Yeah, yeah. we've done it really two ways, uh, partly because of logistics. Um, usually we've done it in one five to six day period for people. Um, a couple of times we've broken that up into two sec sections, but it's pretty concentrated. Now, our listeners are going to be fascinated by this, first of all. Many okay. of them will likely be interested mm -hmm. in participating in a program like this. How do you go about uh, getting involved? How do you uh, yeah. find candidates for the program? Um, well, one of the ways people it's very easy for people to be involved is to um, go to the um, DBSA peer-to-peer Resource Center's website, and there's a place where people can ask to be on our electronic mailing list. Um, we, we have a, a list that we let people know about trainings that we're involved in. Okay, um, just yeah. to be clear here, they go to www.dbsalliance.org, and, and then you can look for, um, under Finding Support, there's a, there is a uh, place that you can click, and it says Learn More About Becoming a Peer Specialist, or just call DBSA as well, and you can can uh, get connected with us. Okay. So <clears throat> the cost, I assume there's a cost associated with this training. Um, and given that many consumers are, you know, finding it hard mm -hmm. to make ends meet, uh, many are on disability, that type of thing, um, how, do, how is this paid for? Well, a couple of things I want to say about that, one of which is actually um, we've been very fortunate in that we've um, worked with in collaboration with some private funding with some other healthcare systems with many of our trainings. So we've been able to date to offer this training free of charge to people. Um, it's been underwritten by others. Now we will be in the year ahead offering um, one training, maybe more depending on our demand, um, that people might pay to attend. In other words, mm -hmm. they would pay themselves. Now the other thing I want to say is often um, there are more and more organizations and agencies looking to hire such people. So. Um, I could envision um, someone wanting to get this training who, um, you know, would be able to work with an agency or organization that has an interest in hiring them, and perhaps there would be some way that they could collaborate, and that agency or organization would be willing to fund that. So I, it's hard for me. I can't really quote a price because we're um, we're still working on that right now. But people are interested; they will be able to find that out very soon. Let's talk a little more in depth about the curriculum mm -hmm. involved in the training. Mm -hmm. What does the cu curriculum entail, and what will people likely experience over the course of uh, the days? Mm -hmm. Well, the summary of what um, we teach is in three words. We say um, our curriculum is about hope, it's about goals, and it's about support. Um, the hope piece, anybody listening to this who's experienced a mental illness will not have any problem understanding why we spend a lot of time talking about that. Anybody who is, um, has experienced a mental illness or who is trying to help somebody else experiencing a mental illness knows that's probably the biggest barrier that people have, a sense of that they have any, anywhere meaningful to go with their lives. So we spend a lot of time um, both orienting people to the whole concept of recovery, which is hopeful, <laughs> inherently hopeful, and then beginning to um, help people understand just the impact of the way uh, of the diagnosis of mental illness um, creates a sense of hopelessness. And then also techniques that people can use to help people 
begin to find their way out of that really, really dark place that many people are in. Um, so that's one piece. Um, then support. Uh, this is all about support, so we spend a lot of time training people on, okay, how do you support somebody meaningfully? And I need to say this is not instead of professional services. This is in addition to people's clinical services. Yeah, um, that's an important clarification, yes. I think. Yeah, not a, not a replacement. But there are certain techniques that people need to be able to you know, be skilled in to do this. Um, you know, how do you do a good job, you know, leading a group, you know, including people in the discussion, getting people to talk that aren't interested in talking or afraid to talk or, or you know, don't think they have anything to offer. Um, how do you begin to start conversations with people, begin to help them see that there um, are things they're dissatisfied with their, in their lives and how mm -hmm. they can take small steps to move ahead. So really specific things, you know, not it's very much about hands-on training in skills. And then um, goals is the other piece of it. And our whole training is based on, and I have to also give a nod to the folks from Georgia, um, when I attended the training, this was something that, it seems so simple now, but it, I realize now as a person, you know, who's been professionally trained as I have, is we didn't spend a lot of time talking about how people's life goals are important to them and how those are motivators in getting better in recovery. Um, we talk a lot about treatment goals, you know, how are we going to get the person to comply with the treatment plan, things like that, but that's not really very useful to somebody who doesn't see, have any hope and isn't seeing a life for themselves. So if people begin to have goals for their lives, whether that's I want to get out of bed every morning next week, to I want to get my own apartment, I want to go back to school, whatever their goal is, how this peer can work with somebody to say, okay, there's your motivator. You want to do this? Let's figure out how I can support you in getting to your goal. And then what's your next goal and your next goal? So hope, goals, and support are really what our training is about. And it's a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> now, is, would this be similar to, say, uh, AA, for instance, has a sponsor program. Mm -hmm. Is it at all similar to that? It, well, I would think some of the concepts are certainly like, we don't call it a mentoring program, but in a sense it is, although, you know, we're really clear that just because if I'm a peer specialist, my path may be very different than, say, what your path might be. Um, but the concepts are the same, you know, that you need to have some goals. So, yeah, I think there's some of, some of that. The peer specialist role is really to support the person in doing what it is that they want to achieve. Um, and that's not always easy because sometimes the person, you know, may want to achieve some things that, you know, frankly the peer specialist may not think are, you know, what they need to do, you know, and surely setting aside things that obviously would be harmful to somebody, but just things, um, but that's not the peer specialist's job to say, keep these should be your goals. You know, it's the, your job to figure out what your goals are and my job to help you think them through and support you in doing that. Trying to now, achieve. the ideal candidate for peer specialist, based on what you've described, I assume it's not necessarily someone newly diagnosed. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we try to say that people should be, oh, I'm trying to think what we use, that, that feel like they're pretty secure in their recovery. Now, that doesn't mean they're not having any problems, because, you know, if we, if we set that as a, as a benchmark, I don't think too many people would qualify, but somebody who has, you know, experienced their own difficulties but feels like they're on the right path. Um, somebody clearly who feels they're capable to go back to work, you know, whether that's full-time or part-time, because some of these positions are part-time. Sometimes that's what people want to do. 
Um, it really isn't a matter of what kind of education you have. You know, we're not looking for a particular educational level. Um, I do know one time, uh, one training that we did in collaboration with another system, the people who were going to be hired had to have a high school diploma or a GED. So that was a requirement in that case. People do need to be able to have some good basic writing skills because often they're, you know, taking notes and, and recording progress notes with the person, ideally. Um, but really, the main thing you have to have is the lived experience and the desire to help other people and a good handle on the philosophy that you're not doing for the person, you're supporting them actively. Now, does the certified peer specialist have any interaction with the, let's call it a wellness team, mm -hmm. of the individual that they may be assigned to? Would, would they have any contact with a counselor or or their social worker social or something worker. like that? Sure. Um, it depends, uh, again, in the setting where somebody works. But uh, ideally, this peer specialist, if they're working in an organization or agency mm -hmm. where there are you know, professional services, if this person's just an, another member of the service team, the wellness team, treatment team, whatever you want to use. Um, again, they're bringing their unique expertise to this. They're exchanging information. Um, you know, again, we those who are listening to this will know that, you know, people take a lot of notes and have a lot of, you know, data and things that they need to do, and this person is just another member of the team and is, you know, is bound by, you know, procedures and policies and, and uh, confidentiality requirements just as the others are. Now, the individuals that uh, have attained the certification, mm -hmm. uh, certified peer specialist status, um, I would assume that over time they're they're going to be in real demand mm -hmm. by consumers. Oh. Um, how would a consumer go about finding a certified peer specialist to help them in their recovery? Yeah, and, and believe me, we get a lot of calls <laughs> people looking for a peer specialist. I would say that there are a lot of different ways. Um, this service is increasingly um, a part of state systems of care. By that I mean that um, a lot of people who receive their services through the public systems um, you know, would like to use peer specialists and a lot of public systems would like to utilize them. So many states are developing training programs and we're actually helping, assisting um, a number of those states. Can you tell us what any of those states are? Um, well, I'll use Illinois as an example because we did that um, last year. Illinois was interested in developing a certification for what they're calling a certified Certified Recovery Support Specialist. Mm -hmm. And so we came in, we did two trainings actually. We trained a group of people um, in June. And then some of those people then became our co-trainers the next time around. We did another training in December. Um, now those people, the state is pretty much prepared to do its own training based on what we did. They're going to be putting their own stamp on it. Excellent. And they're developing an actual certification actually right now, as we're talking, they're um, getting the job position uh, classified, I believe, is the, mm -hmm. is the title. So that's a, an example of a state that's doing this. And so they'll be doing training on a regular basis, if all goes well, and um, having these people trained. And they will go to work in all kinds of settings. So um, if someone is receiving service, for example, this I would just theorize this, say, in a um, state-funded you know, day treatment program, for example, that, that they very well may be um, offered the services of a peer specialist in addition to other people. Um, the, I'll tell you, the other thing is that the, um, on a national level that the um, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services are just about ready to um, 
issue a letter to all the states telling them how they can operationalize this and make this a part of their Medicare, Medicaid plan, um, which is a, something states will need to do in order to fund this under Medicaid, but many of them are interested in this, and so I think you'll see a lot of peer specialists out there. My dream would be that people could hire one as an independent contractor mm -hmm. someday. Um, I don't know of anywhere that, where that's happening right now, but, but I think that's coming too. For state systems and health administrators, what's in it for them? What, what's the appeal of this program to those individuals? Very good. That's a very good question. And um, there are a lot of research studies. Um, Georgia has done some and also in other places. Some broadly just talking about the value of peer support in terms of the lessened need for um, intensive services. So decreased number of days in the hospital when someone um, receives peer support and or specifically peer specialist services. Um, certainly lowered costs because people aren't coming to the hospital as often. They may not be coming to the hospital at all. If they do come, they're there less time. Um, there are studies that have shown that people's symptoms are you know, abated much, much quicker. quicker. Uh, there are studies that show that people are just more satisfied with their care, which is, of course, really important, too. So there are more and more studies that are showing um, that when you add peer specialists to the mix, and then we believe that this is really a part of orienting recovery, orienting care to um, a recovery focus, mm -hmm. that um, people get better faster and it costs less money, of course. That's... That's off, that is what is in it for uh, states and other systems that are implementing this. This is a, one of the more exciting programs offered by uh, DBSA currently. Um, hopefully, this will stimulate more interest. I hope so, too. Um, in the Certified Peer Specialist Program. Um, as we close, what else should our listeners know about the program? Oh, gosh. Um, I would say that um, the systems we've seen that are implementing this have found not only are they, you know, have seen the outcomes that, that I talked about just a moment ago, but it's really helping energize the providers and the professionals too. Um, because, you know, anybody who's gone into a helping profession and went into it because they really, you know, cared about people and wanted to help people, but for a lot of reasons that were not anybody's fault, um, we've fallen into a pretty medical model. And so when you begin to interject and bring people with the lived experience into the setting, and that's why they're there, for their lived experience, um, it helps providers, gives them hope, first of all, to see that people can recover as well, because often providers see the people that are the sickest. You know, right. That's all they see is people who are very, very bad off. Um, and there are things that peer specialists can do and then the providers can concentrate on some of what they do so well, which is some of their therapeutic techniques, and then they see their, um, you know, their clients, their patients, you know, more hopeful, getting better, you know, looking actively for a way to participate with their treatment. Um, I've seen a lot of professionals that, frankly, were pretty skeptical going into this and um, are big believers in this now and say they wouldn't, wouldn't do it any other way. So it's a win-win for everybody, I think. Fantastic. And thank you, Lisa. Again, if you could tell our listeners where they can go to learn more about the peer, Certified Peer Specialist Program. Okay. Either go to the DBSA site, dbsaalliance.org, and then click on Finding Support. You'll find something there about becoming a peer specialist. You can also go to a separate website that the center has, which is peersupport.org. 
or just call DVSA at 1-800-826-3632. Thank you very much. And hopefully in the future, uh, we can actually talk to a certified peer specialist, uh, a consumer. I think that would make for an interesting program as well. I'm sure they would love to talk about it. So thanks. Thank you, Lisa. This has been DBSA's Real Recovery Podcast. Thank you, and we'll look at you soon. This has been a production of the Depression and Bipolar Support Alliance. For more information, go to www.dbsalliance.org or call 1-800-826-3632. We've been there. We can help.